guys are blessed to have such a wonderful worship team, don't you think so? And uh, you ought to be thankful for them and, and um, thankful for their service to the church. I am grateful for, to be here. Uh, I am Mike Snyder, I'm the pastor, at least that's what they call me sometimes, the pastor of East Aboga Baptist Church, and, and uh, they call me a lot of other things, but uh, we won't go into that. Uh, but um, we, uh, we are so thankful to be serving there, and we've been there since 2008, served the student pastor there for three years, and for the past years, uh, past five years, excuse me, they have called me pastor, and grateful for that, grateful for the opportunity to serve there, and the sweet people there, they are just so sweet and good to us, and listen, they are praying for you today, I made sure that they are praying for you, we have been ever since we've been talking about a partnership in missions in Farmington and Salt Lake City. They've been praying for you. They love you. They've never met many of you, but they love you. And uh, I'm grateful for that. I, I do have one wife. That's it. I only have one. Uh, I'm grateful for that one. She's over here, and she's the prettiest woman in this room. And, and uh, that's her over there. Her name's Amanda. We do have three children, Lilybeth, Will, and Noah James. And so uh, grateful for them. Lilybeth is 10. She's going on 18. And uh, she, she has really caused my prayer life to turn into a life of prayer. I'm telling you, uh, I just send Amanda in there and say, babe, you're going to have to deal with this. I, I, it doesn't matter to me. Just put something on. I, as long as it covers, we're good. I don't care. Uh, but uh, last night she came in. She had an outfit. She said, what do you think about this? I think this will look good. And Amanda said, well, I don't know if that really goes together. She said, well, I had a second outfit anyway. So... Uh, you know, you with girls have that, and you know that, but it is good to be here. I, uh, I enjoy um, hanging around Cody and Aaron and, and the rest of your staff. You just have a wonderful staff, and, man, they love you, and they serve you well, and, and uh, they talk great about you most of the time, and, uh, uh, but uh, I'm kidding, uh, not really, but um, they, they do love you, though, with all their heart. And uh, you are blessed by them. Seriously, you are. And so that is good. I, just a couple weeks ago, I told our congregation this. We were at the, uh, the State Evangelism Conference in Montgomery. And uh, there was a guy got up to preach, and he was telling about his church. And it's a multicultural church there. And he said he had a, uh, just an older black lady used to sit, or she does, not used to. I uh, don't put her there, but she, used, she is sitting at the front of the sanctuary when he preaches and he say when he just lets them have it and preaches hard and strong and says something right out of the bible he said that little old black lady just yelled that's what it says and i said well, i like that so at any moment you just feel free and say that's what it says ah, that'll be fine with me i tend to feed off of it my church they've just quit doing that because they know i feed off of it and i'll just keep going so uh but you feel free to interact and amen and whatever you got to do uh, to be involved. If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, I, I don't have to tell you anything new about missions or evangelism or that we need to go and make disciples of all nations, your staff, and I know Cody's heart, and that's what he teaches you, and that's what he preaches to you, and, and you guys are living that out. You are a great model to follow for missions, and, but I just want to encourage you just for a couple 10 40 minutes on the importance of that and why we should and that you and every believer every follower of Christ ought to be involved in missions and evangelism and in first Peter chapter 2 I believe we get a great picture of missions and a great picture of evangelism and when we read it you'll go well how in the world 
is that pointing us to missions and evangelism? And I pray that at the end of our time here today, you will have a greater understanding of that. First Peter chapter 2, we will read verses 9 and 10. If you'll stand with me as we read God's word together, infallible, it's an Aaron, it's God's word. Peter is talking to the church, and, and in, this, in this passage, he is trying to encourage the Christians. They are beginning to experience many different forms of persecution. Now, not legal persecution, but they are men and women who stand for Christ, has made them pagans, uh, excuse me, not pagan, strangers in a pagan society. That's what it ought to do. Being a follower of Christ ought to make you peculiar, the Bible says. It ought to make you a stranger in a pagan society. We ought not love the darkness. And Peter's reminding the church, man, let me encourage you for just a moment. Nero is about to take over, and their persecution is about to get worse and worse and worse. And you guys, many of you lived years ago. You would never think that we would be in the place we are now. But we are. And it's going to continue to get worse because the prince of darkness is over the earth and in the hearts of people. Peter's encouraging them. Men and women, keep standing for Christ. Be strangers in a pagan society. Exhorting the believers in practical instructions to take the good news of the gospel to a lost and dark world. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this, and starting in verse 9, but you, he just finished telling them about those who have disobeyed the message. They were destined for stumbling. They were destined for destruction. He says, but you, church, you, Christians, you, believers, you are a chosen race, a holy, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that, why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. He gives a description of all Christians. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. That's good news, isn't it? Aren't you thankful for that? Once you were not a people of God, now as a believer, you are a people of God. And then he says, you had not received mercy, but now, now you have received mercy. Amen? That's a good word, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, God, may you... Take your word and it's living, it is strong, it is powerful. God, may it exhort us, may it encourage us, may it be profitable to us. And God, we pray that your word may not return void. God, there are people in this room, they're hurting, they're struggling, life is happening, darkness is around them. But God, your word is encouraging. God, we can trust in your promises and we can trust in your truth. That one day, once we did not have mercy, but now we do. Once we were not your people, but now we are. Father, may it transform our heart from the inside out. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to share with you just three observations from this small passage of Scripture. One of those observations comes from the very first part of verse 9. And this observation is this, as a follower of Christ, if you in this room or listening online or whatever on campus, wherever you may be, if you are a follower of Christ, you say, if I were to come to you and say, are you a Christian? You say, yes, sir, I'm a Christian. 
as a follower, you have been specifically chosen for the task of missions. Did you know that? I pray that you know that before you signed up to be a follower of Christ. As a follower of Jesus, you have been specifically chosen for the task of missions and evangelism. Well, preacher, how do you know that? Well, Peter tells us here in verse 9, but you are a chosen race. You have been chosen. We, as believers, we are one family. We are a species of people distinct from the common world. As Christians, we are of another spirit, another principle, another practice, which we would never have been apart from Christ. You have been chosen. Peter's reminding the people here. You are a chosen race. It's not just the Israelites now, but it is to all people, the Gentiles, you and I. God reached down, and if you are a believer, he reached down and chose you. Dear sir, dear ma'am, you didn't choose God. You are not witty enough. You are not awesome enough. You are not smart enough. You are not wise enough to choose Almighty God. God reached down and chose you, right? I am not smart enough to choose him. Matter of fact, I love the darkness. Darkness was fun. Darkness, I was in control. Darkness, I called the shots. Darkness, I said what I wanted to do. But when he reached down and chose me, he chose me. And Peter's reminding the church, you are a chosen race, a peculiar people. You have been pulled out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. You are chosen you turn from sin and to the Lord. It is not your choosing. You say, well, you preach that we need to turn from sin and turn to God. Yes, you must do that. You have to repent of your sin. The gospel requires repentance, and that is not front-loading or back-loading the gospel with works. It is simply this. You are turning from sin and to God. All you are doing is accepting the invitation that has already been presented to you. From the very foundations of the world, God has been pursuing you. God had been pursuing you, sir, you, ma'am, you, teenager. God has been pursuing you. And when you turn from sin and turn to him, he is choosing you for the task of missions, the task of evangelism. Peter says you are a chosen race. Different. Not only that, but he says you are a royal priesthood. Some of people say, I, I knew I was. I knew I was. You're a royal priesthood. Now, how are we royal as a Christian body, as believers, as followers of Christ? How are we a royal priesthood? And Peter reminds them, you are royal due to your relationship with the Father. When someone is crowned king or queen, prince or princess, there is this picture in our mind that they, they take this cloak or this garment, this royal garment, and they put that royal garment over them, signifying their royalness, that they are now a royal priesthood. God does the same thing. When God reaches down and chooses you unto salvation, and you turn from your sin, and you turn to the one and holy God, when God does that that day, he takes the righteousness of Christ, that cloak of righteousness, he puts it over you, and then you become a royal priesthood. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that you become a royal priesthood? Now when God looks down on you, he doesn't see a dirty, rotten sinner, but he sees a perfect son in Jesus Christ. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? God doesn't look down on you and, tell, and see what you did yesterday, but he looks down on you and he sees the cross. He sees the empty tomb. He sees his son, his daughter, a royal priesthood. I'm thankful for that. 
it'd be the only way I could become a royal priesthood. I'm from Munford. There's nothing royal in Munford. I promise you that. I'm from there. I can say it. I, 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 that's okay. I grew up there. There's nothing royal about that. But when Jesus comes in, now, that's why the Bible calls believers saints. We are his saints. They are royal due to the improvements that are from above. See, when God reaches down and chooses you out of the darkness and into the marvelous light, he doesn't just come in and do a little remodel. He doesn't come in and put fresh paint on the wall. He doesn't come in and just put some new carpet down, maybe refresh the, the, the paint on the cabinets. God doesn't do that. When God comes in, he takes everything out, including the foundation which was built on sinking sand. He puts in his foundation, which is the rock, God's word, and then he builds his house in you. You are a royal priesthood. We can be thankful for that that we are his royal priesthood he also says you are a holy nation not only are you chosen or your royal priesthood you're a holy nation we as believers are one nation one kingdom we are under one head agreeing in the same manners and customs governed by the same laws when we as believers and as the church come together and know that we are one nation we have one god one baptism one faith one lord doesn't it just take care of all the pettiness of church, all the pettiness of things that we have to deal with? We've got one mission, and that mission is the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. If your heart and your attitude and your life doesn't line up with the Great Commission, you, sir, you, ma'am, have a problem. We are a holy nation, separated from the world. We are peculiar. I like this part. For his possession. I like that. We are his possession. I wrote in my notes, we are his choice. Hmm. Over six billion people in this world and you were his choice. Isn't that amazing? Not only were you his choice, he knew you. <laughs> and while you were yet a sinner and enemy to him, he still died for you. And you became his choice. God chose you. You say, God chose me after everything that I've done to him, after all of my past? Exactly right, yes. You are his choice, his care, his delight. That is good news when we live in a world where parents are walking away from their children. When people are walking away from their families, it is good to know that though nowhere on this earth someone may choose or have delight in me, my Heavenly Father chooses me and He delights in me. Dear sir, dear ma'am, teenager, you may have someone in your life that does not care for you, but there is someone that is greater than any of those people. And His name's Jesus and He loves you. He cares for you. He delights in you you are his choice and no one can take that away here's the funny part about all that that's all of us those are our attributes and none of those attributes are natural to us are they none of those are natural to us we were in darkness living in darkness we were used to the darkness but he snatched us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light we once were lovers of darkness now as a chosen race a holy nation royal priesthood his possession now we are lovers of joy lovers of pleasure lovers of prosperity which causes us to live that out by word and actions the virtues and praises of him who called us you as a believer of Jesus Christ, you have been chosen for the task of missions. God chose you. 
not just to come to church and sit in a chair, table, pew, whatever it may be, not just to take up space and air in a church building. God didn't choose you for that. God didn't die on the cross for your sins so that you could sit on the sideline and do nothing. That is not the church Jesus died for. That is not the church that Jesus has suffered for. That's not the church that Jesus gave his heart and everything and serves and loves the church for. You, me, we have been chosen for missions. How are you doing on that? Not just missions in Africa or Kentucky or Mexico or Salt Lake City, but missions across the street to your neighbor. Evangelism to the co-worker at your workplace that, that seems to be a jerk all the time. You know them, right? If you don't, you might be the one. I don't know. <laughs> like, some of you are mad now. He called me a jerk. Don't be a jerk. That, you tweet that. Tell Cody I said that. Don't be a jerk. It's not just missions around the world. It's across the street. It's to your neighbor. You've been chosen for that task. Observa that's one. Observation number two. Missions is proclaiming to the world how great our God is. That's mission. You say, what is missions? What is evangelism? It's simply this. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, missions is proclaiming to the world just how great God is. Look at uh, the latter part of verse 9. He says, your chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. You know what that term praises means? That doesn't just necessarily mean praise as we think of praise and worship, singing, music things like that that is simply we are proclaiming to a lost and dark world the glories of knowing him it is proclaiming to a lost and dying world the excellencies and the virtues and the great things of knowing who God is we have been chosen for the task of missions to tell the world just how good God is it is that simple it's that simple it is that simple Evangelism is not just simply telling people they're going to go lost. If they're lost, they're going to go to hell. Yes, we need to tell people that, that. Yes, that's part of the gospel, and we need to share the entirety of the gospel. But what people need to know more is that God loves you. God died for you. Let me just share with you just how great He is. He's my provider, my sustainer. He's all of those things. He is a good, good Father. Right? Man, the church has had such a bad testimony of who God is. We need to do a better job as the church of telling people who God is. He is not just some mamby-pamby God that sits up on this throne and says, well, I hope they make it out all right. God is the sustainer of all things. He tells the oceans where to stop. He is a big, big God. We need to do a better job as a church in missions and evangelism, not just spitting out. I told our church just a couple of weeks ago, evangelism and missions is not just some drive-by, some drive-through gospel presentation. Hey, Jesus loves you. If you don't know him, you're going to go to hell. Bye. I'm going to go home now for, for, for 12 months. I'm going to come back in a week and tell you the same thing. That's not missions. That's not evangelism. Sure, that's true. But wouldn't it be better? If you were to sit down in relationship with someone and say, hey man, dear lady, can I just share with you how great God is? Wouldn't it be better? Hey, can I just share with you the goodness and the glories of knowing the God that I serve? Can, can, if you got a couple minutes, can I just share with you of what God's done in my life? 
Can I just share with you for just a moment what God has done in my teenager's life? Can I share with you just for a moment, the moment that God reached down and chose me out of darkness? Can I share with you that? I told our church, I said, when sharing your story, this is what I would encourage you to do. You take a sheet of paper, your story is your, your testimony. Take a sheet of paper and write down every quality, virtue, and excellency of God you can think of. And when you share your story, you share as many of those qualities as you can think of. Evangelism is more than just speaking the gospel. It is living that gospel out in such a way that his qualities, his virtues, his excellencies are evident and real. May we go out into a lost across the street and around the world, as Gardendale First Baptist would say, and proclaim to the world just how great God is. Because I believe that if we do that, that is attractive to the lost, don't you think? May we not go out and share how, just how great our church is. That's not what Peter's telling us. May we not go out and share, well, let me just share with you just how great our small group is. Let me go, let's, can I just share with you just how great our staff is, just how great our leadership is? Let me, can I just share with you just how great church is? No, Peter says, you go out and you share with the world just how great God is. That is attractive to a lost and dying world. See, East Aboga Baptist and Iron City can do nothing for a lost and dying world, but when we share just how good God is, that is attractive to people. See, we can only pray with you, pray for you, and lead you to God. We can't do anything for your sin, but God can. Can I share with you just how good God is? Evangelism, missions, is proclaiming to the world just how great God is. Number three, the main character. We need to get this as the church because we're failing in this, I believe. I, not your church, all you know, the universal church. The main character of missions and evangelism is Christ. It's Christ. It's not a preacher. It's not staff. It's not churches. It's not a denomination. It's not Southern Baptist Convention. It's none of those things. The main character of evangelism, missions, whatever you may call it, is Jesus Christ himself. You look in the latter part of verse 9, he's sharing with them, you're chosen, you're holy priesthood, you're royal, holy nation, you're for his possession, he chose you so that you may proclaim the praises of whom? The pro pro proclaim the praises of the church? No. Proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness. See, no one, no thing can do for you what Jesus can do for you. And you and I, as believers, we have been chosen for the task of telling the world about the one who pulled us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. That is our goal. That is our mission. That is our, 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 our commission that Jesus has given to us, that we go out into all the world and share the main character, who is Jesus. The whole point of missions is Jesus. The whole point of evangelism is Jesus. The one who pulled us out of darkness. The one who saw us in the bottom of the pit looking down and snatched us out of there and set us into the marvelous light. May we get excited about the one who pulled us out of darkness. 
The problem in most Baptist churches is not too much emotion. The problem is we don't have enough. Man, we're sitting on our cold, dead premises saying, well, blessed be the name of the Lord. And you're not convincing anybody. No one. When you go to work all week and you do nothing but complain about your boss, nothing but complain about your coworker. I know they may be a jerk, but tell them about Jesus. I know you think I'm meddling, but I got the microphone, I guess. I don't know. Don't shut me off. I can yell if you do. I think the problem with most Christians is this. We tell people they need Jesus, but we can't tell them why. We tell people they need Jesus, but we don't even know the Jesus we're telling them they need. We need to do a better God of knowing who God is. We need to do a better God of knowing who Jesus is, what he can do for us. God never intended for the church to be get used to the darkness, ever. God never intended us to get used to the darkness. He pulled us out of darkness into the marvelous light. When we get used to the darkness, it's when our attitude begins to change about the church. Our attitude begins to change about our co-workers. When we do get used to the dark, we lose the burden for the loss. We lose a sense of urgency. We must in the church today rekindle the passion of everything. And the problem is we're passionate about everything except for lost souls. The one thing that we have been chosen to do. God didn't choose us to build big churches. God didn't choose us to build great big seminaries. God didn't choose us to have vast clubs like our church has. God didn't choose us to do BBSs and all that. God chose us for the task of missions to tell people about the God who snatched them up out of darkness and into the marvelous light. God chose you from that. And we can celebrate as a church because when you and I were walking to destruction, we were walking and destined to destruction. We were on our way to a lost hell forever. And mercy ran past us. Mercy came past us. Got right to the point of destruction and said, Oh no, I will snatch you from destruction and darkness and I will set you into marvelous light. Can we be thankful for that? That's the one. <laughs> That's the one that we share about. We tell our coworker that says, I know, no, I know, I know, God, I know you're living in hell on earth in your home, but Jesus can take care of that. He can heal that. He can run past you, and he has. He is standing there. Would you receive him today? When telling our story, the main character must be the one who pulled us out of darkness. I told our church this, let people fall in love with God, right? Like when you're sharing your story with people, let people fall in, the fall in love with the God of your story rather than the teller of your story. Well, I did this, I did this, I did this, I went to church, I repented of my sins, I said yes to Jesus, I go to church now, I pray now, I go to church, I do this, I'm a deacon, I'm a Sunday school teacher, I lead worship, I do all of this. Now, who's the main goal there? I said, yes, I was sinking deep, <laughs> deep in sin. This is our story. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shores. Are you there today? You need peace? Very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. There was no hope, no help for me. <laughs> but, right? See, I, I want to do a cartwheel, but you may think I'm crazy. But, but I was sinking deep with sin, but... 
the master of the sea. And this is the good part. You should be excited about this part. But the master of the sea, he heard my despairing cry. Aren't you thankful for that? He heard my despairing cry. And from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. You know it. Love lifted me. That's the goal of evangelism and missions. Who's the character there? The one who pulled us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. You look in verse 10, he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, the best in all of us will go back and look at where we were compared to where we are now. See, I think every now and then we need to be reminded of what God has saved us from and what he is saving us to. We have forgotten of where we've come from because when we, when we look at other people with a downtrodden view and we look at them and condemn them for the sin in their life and what they've done and your co-worker and your family members that you don't like, your, your coaches and all the, your teachers and all these people. See, what we have done as a church, we have forgotten that we were one of them. But yet God pulled us out of the darknesses and into the marvelous light. There are people in this room, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or do anything. But there are people in this room, you would say, preacher, if God can save me, he can save anybody. Can I tell you this today? I, in school, man, I never, I never got into the, 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 the drinking and that kind of scene, the parties. I never got into that. I just wasn't interested. It's not because I have a, a, a greater... Uh, will or, or um, I'm just stronger than everybody. I, well, I was and I just wasn't interested in that. But can I tell you this today? If God can save me, he can save you. If God, God can save the woman at the well, he can reach down in this room today and he can pull you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. I am convinced and I am not naive to think that there are people in this room today, you are in darkness. And that's you, that song, that verse, you are sinking deep in sin, far from any peace. You're very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. You feel like there is no hope, but I'm here. The church is here to tell you there is hope. There is hope. There is hope in the one who saved you when God saved you. Listen, listen, I think this will help, okay? When God saved you, when God pulled you out of darkness and into the marvelous light, God didn't just set you down in heaven's ER room and just correct some of your boo-boos and cover them up. God didn't just take you to the OR and say, well, he's got a little problem here, a little issue here. Let's just take care of those small things. We'll sew him up, give him some drugs, and he'll be on his way, and then he'll be coming up to heaven one day. God didn't do that. God doesn't have some ER triage room in heaven. No, when God reached down and saved you, he totally transformed you. You were once dead in your transgressions. Now you are alive in Christ. Amen? R.C. Sproul put it this way. God doesn't throw a life preserver to a drowning person. See, that's the kind of attitude and mindset we have of who God is. That when he saves somebody, they're drowning in sin. That He just throws a life preserver and says, just catch it. Just grab onto it. Let me pull you to shore. No. God doesn't just throw a life preserver to a drowning person. He goes to the bottom of the sea and pulls a corpse from the bottom of the sea, takes him on the bank, breathes into him the breath of life, and makes him alive. That's the God we serve. That's the Christ that pulled you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. When God chose you and saved you out of darkness, he didn't just 
fix your boo-boos and take away some of the sin in your life. God went down to the depths of despair, pulled you out, brought you to the bank, breathed the spirit of life into you, and now you are his royal priesthood. You are a saint. You are a child of God, and you have been chosen for the task to, to tell the world about it. R.C. Sproul also said this, Folks, men aren't just a little sick. They're dead. So your coworker, your family member, they're not just a little sick. They're dead in their trespasses. And Peter's reminding the church, church, so were you. So were you. But God reached down and pulled you from the depths. I want to encourage you as a church to be reminded that God has chosen you as a believer for the task of missions. Once again, not just around the world. That, that, that is important. But may we not forget that God has chosen you for the task of missions and evangelism to your coworker tomorrow, to your neighbor tomorrow, today. Maybe even people in your own home. God has called you for that. And I want to ask you, I know, because I've had many conversations, I know that this church is heavily involved in missions. And I know some of you are thinking this, well, I mean, we got lost people around here. Why we got to go around the world? Well, that's an easy answer, because God said so. What does it matter? Well, if you feel that way, go tell them about Jesus. I had someone tell me that. said, I don't know why we got to go all the way to Belize and tell people about Jesus. We've got people here in the United States and Alabama that need Jesus. And I said, well, what are you doing about it? Right? What are you doing about it? Well, you know, God's called me. I really work well. My ministry's with my hands. I like to build stuff. What? That God doesn't say that. What does God just say? Well, if, you, if you're good with your hands, that's your missions. What? No. Now, you can use your hands and God, you can use your talents for the glory of God, but God said, how will they hear unless they, someone speaks to them? We are all called to use our mouth to tell people about Jesus. And may you get involved in that. You got a mission, is it this week? Starting this week? Starting, starting Wednesday night. Now, there ought to be this many people here Wednesday night. Don't you believe so? Uh, you're not going to shake your head on that. I know that. That's whatever. I'm, hey, I'm... I may not come back. I'm going to fill the wagon up while I'm here, okay? There... <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I have so much love for you. Look, this church is heavily involved in missions. And I just believe there's no greater joy that comes on the heart of God than his people knowing that they're chosen for the task of missions and evangelism. And they are heavily involved in it. Dear sir, dear ma'am, teenager, young child, it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're a baby, a child, teenager, adult, or senior adult. There is no expiration date on you, nor your task of evangelism, missions. And I would encourage you today, get involved in missions and evangelism. God's chosen you to do it. The question is, how are you doing on that? I guarantee you, you've got somebody on your mind and heart right now, somebody you work with. Maybe they're a coworker or just a friend, a relative. We call them at our church our friends, friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. You've got a friend in your life that needs Jesus. Can I tell you this? 
God didn't just put them in your life just to talk about them or say you need Jesus. God put them in your life so that you could tell them about him. See, we got to have an eternal perspective on life. we got to remember, what am I going to do today? Church, what are you going to do today to prepare those people around you for all eternity? What am I going to do today? What are you going to do tomorrow, dear sir, dear ma'am, at work or at school? What are you going to do tomorrow to prepare the people in your sphere of influence for all eternity? That's missions. That's evangelism. And no matter where you go, no matter what you do, whatever place you may be, whether it's Kentucky, whether it's Mexico or Africa or, uh, or Salt Lake City or, or Farmington, no matter where it may be, wherever God has placed you for that moment, you've got to ask yourself this, what am I going to do to prepare them for all eternity? I also want to encourage you this. If you're in here today and you're sinking deep with sin far from the peaceful shore, listen. I know a man that has the power and the know-how to reach down in your deep despair and pull you out of darkness, and he will set you into the marvelous light, and you'll feel a relationship and a peace like you've never felt before. That man's name is Jesus. Would you surrender your heart and life to him today? Well, I don't know of any other way to, to end a, a message, end an opportunity, a service today than people getting, giving their heart to the Lord today. Would you pray with me? Father, all across this room, God, there are church members. God, there are people in this room, God, that they, they know they're saved. They know they're followers of Christ. God, they know all of that. But God, they have not been committed to missions. They have not been committed to evangelism. Lord, they've not been committed to going to their neighbor and, and preparing them for all eternity. God, in your word today, you have reminded us as believers that we have been chosen for the task of missions. And God, in that task that you've called us to do, all of us, no one is eliminated from that. But in that, God, you have called us to tell the world of the one who pulled us out of darkness. And God, may people through our words and our actions, may they fall in love with you. Not with the church, not with the staff, not with... Uh, a style of worship or a style of preaching or a way of doing things. But God, may they fall in love with you. If you're here today, you're a believer, you know that. You know God's changed your life. You've been transformed. I, I just believe you got somebody on your heart, somebody on your mind this morning. They may be a coworker, a friend at school. They may be a family member. Hey, they may be somebody that you've connected with, maybe in Kentucky or Mexico or Africa or Salt Lake City. And they're on your heart this morning. Listen, God's put them on your heart for a reason. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. That's called an invitation. We are inviting you to come and pray for them. Come and pray for God to implant in your heart a passion for missions and evangelism across the street and around the world. But more importantly than that, in this invitation, we're inviting you to Jesus. God has already extended the invitation by dying on the cross for your sins. Would you turn to him today? Your staff and prayer people are coming. They are here. They're ready to pray for you and pray with you to lead you to the cross. Father, we pray, God, that you would have your way in this place. God, that we would act in obedience to your spirit. And God, may you just transform hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?